Hey, good morning, everybody. How are you? Good? We're so glad you're here. This is awesome. What a fantastic turnout. Thank you, thank you, thank you for coming. Uh, my name's Jason Jackson. I'm one of the pastors here at New Life Downtown. Uh, and I'm going to do a little bit of just intro for us this morning, and then I'm going to turn it over to our speaker for the morning. Uh, I know we ran out of coffee cups. Julie went to go grab some more. So if you didn't get coffee, there should be some uh, there now for you. You can sneak out at any point uh, that you need to. Uh, but just a little bit of information first about Sunday school. So we've been doing uh, Sunday school here in the mini auditorium for a couple of years. Uh, and we have a couple of people who help us sort of plan and think through all the Sunday school stuff. So I want to honor them quickly this morning. So this is uh, Brian and Britt Kwan. It feels still, still strange to say your names together. They just got married how many weeks ago now? Six. <laughs> but, Brian, but, but Brian is not counting at all. And Jacob, where's Jacob at? There he is. And this is Jacob Dolmeyer. So the three of them uh, help us kind of think through Sunday school and what we're doing uh, each uh, month. But one of the things that came up in all of our conversations over the last um, six or seven months since I came uh, on staff was just talking about how so often in churches we talk so much about family and family ministry. Um, So you hear things about premarital classes, and you hear things about marriage retreats, and you hear recruiting for student ministry, and you hear recruiting for kids ministry, and we have family Sundays, and all of these kinds of things that are just kind of common in the context of church, and yet, in the middle of all of that, we don't typically do as good of a job as churches in general, recognizing and honoring and supporting and championing and celebrating singles in the church and saying that this group <laughs> that this group of people deeply, 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 deeply matters um, to the life of the church, the life of the kingdom, and all that happens in the context of things that are going on in the day-to-day um, movements and rhythms of life inside the church and in our community in the way that uh, the body of Christ witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus in the world. And so we just began talking about, in the midst of these things, as we're giving attention to areas like kids' ministry and those things, how do we um, create space to have conversations about singleness um, and to be able to say to you all uh, that we love you? We are absolutely absolutely thrilled and honored that you are a part of the New Life Downtown community and that we value you and all the gifts and strengths and expertise and wisdom that you bring to the church. Um, and so we are deeply honored uh, that you're here. And so what we decided to do is kind of thinking through this was to say, let's put together a series of Sunday school classes um, as well as an event to kind of just set aside a kind of a month of time to have some really intentional conversations. Uh, So we're calling the whole series the Faith in the Single Life series. Uh, It's kicking off today with a conversation on singleness in the Bible, recognizing that one of the challenges sometimes to the conversation is lots of misunderstandings about the ways that singleness is portrayed in the scriptures. Um, And being able to say, let's talk about these passages first of all, uh, and begin to have those conversations. Then, um, Then next week we're going to talk about singleness in church history and theology, and seeing what does the church actually then think in light of the scriptures uh, about singleness in 
what singleness looks like and how faithfulness is played out in the context of a single life. And then, uh, so that's the two Sundays. Then the following Saturday on November 18th, Lisa Anderson, who uh, leads the Boundless Ministry at Focus on the Family, it's their ministry to singles, uh, will be doing an all-day event um, talking really um, for Lisa and a lot of the kind of uh, practical aspects of singleness and addressing a variety of topics, everything from conversations around dating and all the things that kind of come up in the middle of that, to um, Lisa is in her 40s. Um, she's had a desire to be married her whole life and never has been. Um, so even for her, it's kind of talking about how do I trust God with an unexpected story um, and kind of walking through those things. Uh, and so she'll share on a number of topics related to that. And then she's going to be here for the final Sunday school class to talk about singleness in the church today. How is it that the church can best celebrate, encourage, integrate, support um, people in, who are single in the context of the worshiping community. Uh, so hopefully throughout the conversations, we'll touch on a variety of different things at a variety of different levels. Uh, and there'll be opportunities for Q&A and conversations in the middle of all of that. And we've tried really hard uh, as we're putting the series together to think through two particular issues. One of them is recognizing that not everybody's singleness is the same. Right? I think that's sometimes the challenge is that we sometimes present singleness with a blank sort of slate, like this is what singleness is, um, and recognizing everybody's experience of singleness is different. Um, for some, it's a, uh, it may be, to, for lack of better terminology, it may be a voluntary singleness, like I have chosen to be single for the sake of Jesus and for the sake of being able to serve in the context of his kingdom. Um, for some, it may be what we may call more involuntary in the sense of I'm, I'm single, but I've wanted to be married, or I'm single um, because my uh, marriage ended in divorce, or um, we had I was married and my spouse passed away. Recognizing that people are single in all different stages of life and for all kinds of different reasons. And so there's no way to like lay a blanket over singleness and say all singleness is the same. It's, it's not. Everybody's experience of it is different. And so we're going to do the best that we can uh, to try to communicate all of those things and touch in all the different kind of places. And, uh, but as we go, we're learning too. Um, this is new ground for New Life Downtown. It's new ground oftentimes for a lot of churches. Um, so if there's things that we could do different, there's things that we could do better. Uh, there's things like, hey, you didn't touch on this, or you should not have said this, um, or it would have been more helpful if you had talked about this this way. Please, um, let's have a conversation so that we can learn from you all as well in the middle of that. And knowing that we're, we're wrestling through kind of how do we talk about this in a way that's broad enough that everybody can kind of connect to it, um, but deep enough that it also gives us some language and paradigms and some, some provoking thoughts to think about what does it mean to follow Jesus as singles. Uh, the second thing that we're um, trying to keep in mind in the middle of that just escaped my thoughts. Um, it was there, and then it was gone as I continued to talk through that. Um, oh, I don't remember what it was. Um, the other thing that we're trying to keep in mind is I think when we have experienced churches talking about singleness, oftentimes singleness is treated as a problem to be solved. That that's been the primary approach. Um, that is hopefully will never be what you hear 
from us in the middle of all of this. Um, that we do not want to take that approach at all um, of recognizing as we look at the scriptures and things that there is beauty and significance and goodness and opportunity in the midst of singleness. Certainly there are challenges, and those challenges are different depending upon all the different things we talked about earlier as far as uh, each individual person's experience of singleness. Um, those, we can't blanket all those together, but I think sometimes the church kind of defaults to this sense of um, singleness is a problem to be solved, um, or, and maybe uh, more difficult conversations, singleness is a problem, and what, but the real issue is that you need to be fixed, right? Anybody ever experienced that in church a little bit? Um, <laughs> I think that is a heartbreaking approach to the conversation, and I don't think we find that in Scripture. Um, so that is our heart as we're going to be talking through all of these things is trying not to put all singleness under one blanket and trying to look at singleness through the lens of Scripture and tradition that uncovers all of the beauty, the truth, the goodness, the significance, and value of it while not ignoring the fact that there are challenges that people experience in the middle of those things as well. Um, So I hope and pray that the conversations are helpful. And again, please give us feedback. Let us know um, what you think, how it's going, and what we can do better and differently as we move forward. Uh, But today we have the absolute privilege of hearing from my dear friend Amber Ayers. Uh, So some of you know Amber. Amber and her husband Matthew have been part of New Life Downtown for, or New Life and New Life Downtown for quite a while. Uh, But previously, Amber was on staff at First Prez uh, here in town uh, for a while, but has been downtown for how many years? Yeah. New Life Church for a while, New Life Downtown for a little while. Yeah. Her husband, she's going to share a whole lot more about herself. Her husband, Matthew, is the director of the Dream Centers here in Colorado Springs, and they just had their first baby eight weeks ago. Um, So they are uh, experiencing that new season uh, of life. But she's going to share a whole lot more about herself and her story. But please welcome uh, our dear friend, Amber Ayers. You can put that over your ear. I just didn't. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Britney Spears here. How's that look? Perfect. Okay. Oh, wait. What's that thing? Just go behind your ear. Oh, okay. up. Behind the ear. Got it. Okay. You can clip that. How about here? Okay, pockets. All right. Well, friends, it's really good to be with you all. I, um, you're probably wondering why is there a married lady with an eight-week-old baby teaching about singleness, and that is a very good question. So I wanted to share first a little bit of my story and um, perhaps why I'm even here um, talking about singleness in the Bible. Um, and thank you, Jason, for that intro. Um, it's true. I'm married to Matthew Ayers, and we had a baby eight weeks ago. But um, my pregnancy was called a geriatric pregnancy, believe it or not, because I'm 36 years old. Um, I was single until I was 33, 
And I'm going to share a little bit about my story and my husband's story, and those obviously intertwine. Um, Our singleness was different, and we had um, kind of different reasons and feelings about our singleness. Um, for, For both of us, we were single well into our 30s. My husband was 38 when we got married. He's now 41. Um, and so we were single through our, our, our 20s and our early 30s, um, but again, our reasons were um, pretty different. Um, in my 20s and 30s, I was able to um, do a lot of things in my singleness, and I celebrated that I was able to um, get a master's degree. I went to seminary. Um, I was steeped in scripture. Um, I was ordained in the Presbyterian Church. I got to serve at First Pres for over a decade. Um, Matthew was in the military. Um, he was able to also get a master's degree. We actually met at Fuller Seminary. Um, he s- launched the Dream Centers of Colorado Springs six years ago. Um, so we, we love our singleness. We talk often about um, how much we enjoyed our singleness. And um, I have a little bit of a classic story this morning. I mean, this is like so classic. I have an eight-week-old who is you know, growing and pooping and eating and sleeping, and that's kind of all he does. So I have a really cute outfit on him, and I'm five minutes away from, like, getting out the door and putting him in the, in the uh, car seat to drive over here. And what happens? The blowout. Not just, like, a little poop, but, like, up the back and into the entire cute outfit. And I'm thinking, you know what? If I were single, I would be going to Loyal Coffee right now and getting my latte and then, like, sauntering in here like, oh, this is so great. I have so much time. Life is easy. No, I'm scrambling out the door. And it's like everything in me to just try and get here on time. And I was late. I was like 15 minutes late. And then I'm like hauling my my child in a car seat and I've got a backpack and the diaper bag and the cell phone is going off and there's no way I'm answering that right now because I'm, I'm at the crosswalk. Don't jaywalk with your baby in a car seat, okay? I'm at the crosswalk like trying to get over here and set up my laptop in time to teach on singleness in the Bible. Okay. Matthew and Zeke, my baby's name is Zeke, they're the best thing that has ever happened to me. And I love my life. But there are advantages to singleness. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. There's my opening illustration that literally was about 45 minutes ago, an hour to 45 minutes ago. Okay, so um, as Jason mentioned, there are often some different reasons for singleness. Um, and I actually, I think there are a handful of married people here today, and I really want to, I know Britt and Brian, obviously, they just got married. I want to recognize that, um, this conversation is not just for singles. Um, I needed to study this over the last week just as much as you all, perhaps as single people, need to hear this or understand this. And so, married people need to know where singleness fits and scripturally how we talk about it in the church. So this is a good conversation for us to be having regardless of um, which box you check, right? And as Jason said, there are lots of different reasons for singleness, okay? There's the never married checkbox. There's the divorced checked box. There's the separated checkbox. There's the widowed checkbox. Um, Some people, you know, they lost their spouse early on in, in marriage, and they're facing a life of, of singleness or a season of singleness that they never wished upon themselves or a divorce that was unwanted. Or um, part of my story was that I wanted to be married. I was longing for that for, for many, many years, and it just wasn't coming. 
So I recognize that there are a lot of different reasons why we check those boxes, and we're going to talk um, in a hopefully helpful way, again, about how to ground ourselves in Scripture. Now, here's the interesting thing. I think, um, and this was alluded to when, when Jason was introing um, the topic, I think the church historically has not done a very good job of handling this situation. I have been talking about this this week with different friends and Matthew, and I'm very proud of New Life Downtown. I'm proud of our church because I think that they're making a very strategic move in deciding to talk about this topic, right? Our goal for today is to develop a robust theology around singleness, and we're beginning in Scripture. I'm glad that we're not beginning with, like, contemporary, um, like, Singleness in the church today. I think that's what Lisa Anderson is going to talk about in two Sundays. Um, I'm glad we're beginning in Scripture, because where else should we turn other than Scripture um, for our understanding and for the application of these truths around singleness? So we're going to hopefully become a healthy body, um, and the reason is a good portion of the church are checking those boxes for one reason or another. Um, Because this is Sunday school and it's not a sermon— I like participation. So if you guys are okay, I would love to begin with a conversation from your own experiences. Um, so get together. You know, you've got, you've got rows. It's not exactly conducive for conversation, but we're going to work with it. Three to four people in a group, and I'd like you to answer these questions. What beliefs or conclusions have you heard about singleness in the church, both positive and negative? And then what scripture passages have been used to support those beliefs and conclusions, okay? I'm going to give you about 10 minutes to do this, so gather around and discuss amongst yourselves. Okay, I'm going to bring us back. Sounds like there's some good discussion. All right. Again, our goal today is to develop a robust theology around singleness, and we're turning to Scripture to build that foundation. Um, Another way of looking at this is I think that there's some deconstruction that we have to do um, because the church and the world around us have given us some false ideas about singleness and what it means to not be married. Um, So we're hopefully going to do some deconstruction and then reconstruction and develop a healthy theology um, that you guys can then take and continue the conversation and understanding where people have been in the history of the church and then what that looks like in the contemporary church today. So I'm calling this debunking the myths around singleness. And I'd love for you to kind of hold in your mind some of the conversations that you had today, and specifically those scriptures that um, were highlighted, because we're going to look specifically at some of the scriptures that address singleness. But we need to kind of um, take some of the myths that I think are often spoken, whether they're implied, um, assumed, or whether they're kind of directly spoken um, by church leaders and those outside of the church. These are some of the myths that um, I think we've encountered um, around singleness. So, the first myth. Have you all ever heard this one? Since singleness is a desirable gift, spiritually mature single Christian people should joyfully embrace it. Okay, the first passage, kind of the classic passage that is often um, referred to is 1 Corinthians 7. If you're going to go anywhere in scripture to kind of first understand 
um, singleness, go to the Apostle Paul. Paul himself was a single man, okay? And he um, makes a couple of these statements. I wish everyone were single, just as I am. Okay, Paul, very direct. (laughs) Yet, each person is has a special gift from God of one kind or another, okay? He's starting to allude to singleness as a gift, right? Later on in 1 Corinthians 7, I want you to be free from the concerns of this life. Again, having a diaper blowout with your eight-week-old baby is a concern of life, right? If I were single, that wouldn't have happened. Um, An unmarried man can spend his time doing the Lord's work and thinking how to please him, but a married man has to think about his earthly responsibilities and how to please his wife. His interests are divided. In the same way, a woman who is no longer married or has never been married can be devoted to the Lord and holy in body and in spirit. But a married woman has to think about her earthly responsibilities and how to please her husband. Okay, I think that this scripture has often been taken and applied to this myth. Since it's a desirable gift, spiritually mature single Christian people should simply joyfully embrace it. Okay, what this doesn't address is longing and desire and kind of human reality that many of us were really created um, to be in a partnered relationship. The reality is that the majority of people do get married. The majority of the human population ends up in a, um, a kind of partnered relationship. But for those who maybe on their own desire singleness or it is... Um, undesired, and yet it is kind of the, the path that God has given to them. Um, I think the, the myth is that we're, it's assumed, oh, this should be just joyfully embraced. Um, I remember there was a season in my, my 20s and early 30s where I, I really wanted to be married. I just had this deep longing, um, and I was, you know, secure in who I was and um, I think the life that God had for me, but I wasn't denying my desire. And I want you all to hear today that desire is not bad and longing is not bad. And if the church in any way or if anybody, any leader says to you, go ahead and squelch that desire and joyfully embrace your singleness, I think that's a myth that we have to overcome. Um, Squelching desire is not God's intent for us. Okay, we're going to talk a little bit more about um, what we do with that desire how we live purposefully, how we live God-honoring lives as we um, kind of have that longing and that desire. But first we have to debunk this myth that singleness should simply be joyfully embraced, okay? We're going to talk a little bit more about why Paul says what he says, that he wishes everyone were single as he is. But how many of you have heard this myth before? Let me, let me actually just see some hands. Okay, good. So I'm not way off track. <laughs> myth number two. Since God promises us the desires of our heart, he'll give a spouse to anyone who truly desires one. How many of you have seen that psalm quoted? Can you read it? Oh, sorry, it's kind of dark. Whoa, that wasn't like that on my computer screen. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Psalm 37, 4. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Okay, so... Our first myth was about maybe um, squelching a desire or squelching longing. Okay, you swing the pendulum way over to the other side, 
and it's like, hey, I have this desire, and God is certainly going to fulfill my desire. Is he not? Okay. Um, take delight in the Lord. He will give you the desires of your heart. Um, this is often what's called proof texting, um, cutting and pasting, or taking a passage and applying it out of context to kind of mean something for us. Another big term for that is eisegesis. It's reading something into the text that wasn't there originally. Okay, these words were penned by King David, right? And the premise is take delight in the Lord, trust in the Lord. The, the verse prior to this is, is a call to trust in the Lord and he will give you the des- desires of your heart. So God is not a fairy godmother, um, and we won't get a spouse simply by wishing, wishing our way into this, right? So David prefaced this phrase with an admonition to trust and delight in the Lord. So it doesn't mean that we will always get what we want, but it does mean that we can trust God to give us what, we, what ultimately will be for our good and for his glory. I'll say that again. We can trust God to give us what ultimately will be for our good, and for his glory. Um, in the midst of my singleness, in my 20s, um, there were seasons where I liked it, and there were seasons where I didn't. Um, and I remember praying, this was after a fairly significant breakup, I remember praying, God, I only want your best in my life. Um, I finally came to this place where I was not going to settle for second best. I was not going to settle just to um, be married, to have a warm body next to me, right? I began praying, God, I want only your best. And if that is singleness right now, then I trust that this is your best. For this season, this is what is best for me. Um, And I painfully came to this place of surrender. Um, And I think this is a place where all of us have to come eventually, whatever our lot in life. Um, if it's a a hard marriage, if it's a hard kind of parenting season, if it's simply the hardness of being single, there's a a point of surrender. And it's where we align our will with God's will. And we can't flippantly throw this uh, verse out that you can't read, um, that God will fulfill the desires of our heart, um, no matter what we want, kind of like there's a wishing well that we're flicking pennies down into, right? Oh, thank you, Brian. That guy. So here's another myth that we have to debunk. And I think you guys have have heard this at different points. How about this one? Myth number three. Since the Bible says God is our husband, an earthly spouse isn't necessary. And I know this is a little more applicable for women than men. It's hard to imagine if you're a guy like, God's my husband. Picture spouse, you know. Um... And the the verse that is often quoted for this myth, for your creator will be your husband. The Lord of heaven's armies is his name. He is your redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, the God of all the earth. Um, Here's what we need to do when we um, study this text. Husband is actually a term in the original Hebrew, um, more for God ruling over his people, like a master than a flesh and blood um, partner in life. Okay? Okay. Scripture often uses marriage as a metaphor to describe our relationship with God. Um, But this doesn't negate, again, longing and desire for an earthly partner, for a flesh and blood spouse. 
How many of you have ever heard this myth? In particular, women. Yeah, okay, less so. All you need is God. Yeah, that's another way of of phrasing it, okay? All right, myth number four. Since the Bible says we're to be content in all circumstances, God won't provide singles with a mate until they're totally satisfied with singleness. How many of you ever heard this? Okay, okay. I would say probably this one and maybe myth number one or two were the top um, statements that I heard in my singleness um, from various people, good, well-intentioned people, right? It's not that these people are like, you know, trying to like jab you, make you feel bad about yourself. They're just, they're, they're um, misapplying scripture. And again, we're trying to figure out um, how to apply scripture appropriately to develop a robust theology around singleness. Okay, here's a couple verses, um, and you're going to take note about some, there's a common theme between these two verses. Hebrews 13, don't love money, be satisfied with what you have, for God said, I will never fail you, I will never abandon you. And then 1 Timothy 6, yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. After all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world. We can't take anything with us when we leave it. So if we have enough food and clothing, let us be content contentedness, right? Has anybody ever said, just go ahead and be content with your situation, okay? Or be satisfied with what you have. What's the common theme that is um, like a way of proof texting this passage? Are you guys picking up on, on, I'm sorry, these two passages? Wealth and money, right? It's actually referring to possessions. So when this scripture is misapplied to contentedness or kind of the the demand, hey, just be satisfied with what you have, okay? That's a way of misusing scripture to make a statement. And again, mixed in with all of these myths, it's not that there aren't truths within these, right? Okay? It's not that I'm like saying this is completely false, but what I'm saying is some of these scripture passages have been misapplied and misused, and we need to kind of straighten this out so we have a good understanding. Um, I want to open it up to you guys, since you had some good conversations with your neighbors. What are some of the other myths that you have heard, or statements that you have heard? And bonus points, if you have a scripture passage that aligns with it. What did you guys talk about? And feel free to pull out your smartphone if you got to go to the scriptures, or your Bible, whatever you, whatever you work with. Any other myths that you have heard, positive or negative? Go ahead. Yep. 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 Okay. So, so the myth that. Got it. Mm-hmm. And that has been used against people who have been divorced or have lost a spouse. Can you imagine? I mean, I don't know your stories in this, in this room, but I cannot imagine how painful that would be if you long and desire to be partnered once again after losing a spouse or divorcing a spouse um, to hear that. Any other myths that we need to debunk? I heard someone over here mention Genesis. Do you want to? Okay. 
Tell me what the myth is in that. Or, or excuse me, how that has been applied. Yep. Okay. Force people to come together. Right. And that works. Okay. Yes, right here. Right. Okay. And you're just waiting for the one. The matrix, anybody? (laughs) Yeah. Like, does the one exist? Okay, we could have a whole conversation about that, but we won't today. Um, Yeah, this myth that God said it's not good for man to be alone, and therefore everybody needs to be partnered, right? Okay, the reality is, in context, that passage is about humanity as a whole, God looked around and said, it's not good for man to be alone. I will go ahead and create a partner for him. So he looks at all the animals. Guess what? None of them were suitable. So that's when he takes a rib and he forms Eve. And he says, this is good. And it's good for all of humanity. It's good because the next command is be fruitful and multiply, right? The next command is carry on the human race, okay? So there's less about... um, Like, everybody needs to be partnered in forcing relationships, and it's more about carrying on the whole human race. Other myths. I know you guys have heard these things so many times. Oh, hey, sorry, I'm going to look up. Yeah, yeah, yep. Yeah, yep, yep, yep. Or relegated to the kids' table at Thanksgiving or something like that. I don't know if that's ever happened, but okay. So maybe like a, there's a sense of a second-class status as a single person that you haven't fully arrived as an adult until you are partnered with somebody. Okay, right here. Okay. Right. Right? Right. Good. Okay. Yep, that's good. So around leadership, okay, that, that legitimate leaders are male, married, with kids, kind of the perfect family life. I really shouldn't be up here, and I should be wearing my head covering, right? Is that what I should be doing right now? Okay. Yes. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. 
right? Okay. Yeah. Somehow you don't have a direct line to Jesus who was single <laughs> if you're not married. Because that makes a lot of sense. Got it. Okay. You guys are rolling. Any other myths? Yes. Oh, oh, hands. <laughs> Let's go middle, front, back. Yeah. How'd that work? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The no man's land, the no woman's land of if I don't have spiritual headship of my father or a husband, where do I belong? Okay. Thank you. Go ahead. Yep. Right. Right. Yeah. Like, you woke up alone another morning, and that longing is there. Okay. Thank you. Yes. Ah. Uh. Right. Okay, that's good. Thank you. Those are, those are some helpful other scripture passages that have been misapplied. All right, I think there was a hand right here. Okay, yeah, kind of like pointing to Jesus. He could do it. You know, he, he lived the single life, so you should be able to as well, that kind of thing, okay, because we should all be just like Jesus. Perfect, perfect in every way. All right. What part of the belt did you grow up in? Nice. I went to Clemson. So. I've heard some of these also. Ah. <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah. It would be interesting to do this talk on college campuses in the South. I mean, really college campuses in, in many different ways. You guys have heard of the MRS degree, right? Okay. Yeah, to find your mate. All right, we have a few more, and then we got to move on. What time is it? Go ahead. Uh Uh-huh. 
Yeah. Okay. Huh? Oh. <laughs> yeah. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. She's she's talking about um, even just a, a healthy theology around femininity what it means to be a woman, what it means to be a woman in leadership, what it means to be a woman in ministry, okay? We could have a whole side conversation about that that I would love to talk about. Um, okay, yes. Last one. Waiting period. Yeah. Yeah. I did a Bible study. It was a thin book like this called Lady in Waiting, during uh, college, don't do that. <laughs> I don't recommend that. Okay, guys, obviously there are some um, misconstrued uh, perceptions. There's um, some proof texting that has been done of scripture. So we want to develop a robust theology around singleness in the Bible. So there's a couple truths um, to be embraced. Um, After we have debunked some of these myths now, what does it mean for us to embrace some truths around singleness? So first, singleness as undistracted devotion to God is a gift. Okay, Going back again to what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 7. I wish everyone were single just as I am, yet each person has a special gift from God of one kind or another. Okay, Each person has a special gift from God. Marriage is a gift just as much as singleness is a gift. I remember on my wedding day, standing before Matthew and making these promises to love him always and forever. And then he said the same words back to me. And the thought occurred to me, oh my gosh, what a gift. I don't deserve this. I don't deserve to be standing up in front of these people and this man committing my life to it. And I thought, Of course I don't deserve it. That's why it's a gift. It's to be received. What if I had the exact same view about the years of singleness? Okay, what if I had the exact same view about the gift of singleness? Okay, it doesn't negate longing and it doesn't negate or squelch desire. But the reality is, I view marriage as a gift. Paul views uh, marriage and singleness as a gift. What if I had the exact same approach to my years of singleness as I did to um, my, my marriage in marrying Matthew? Um, Jesus also speaks of singleness as a gift in Matthew 19. Jesus' disciples then said to him, and this is after, in context, this is after um, a, a teaching about divorce. If this is the case, it is better not to marry. The disciples are like, whoa, it's better to just not get into that. Jesus says, not everyone can accept this statement. Only those whom God helps. Some are born as eunuchs, some have been made eunuchs by others, and some choose not to marry for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let anyone accept this who can. Don't be confused by the word eunuch, okay? In short, somebody who has chosen to not give their bodies to someone else sexually, okay? Like a celibate. We'll just use that term. 
Um, so Jesus also recognizes that singleness is a gift, okay? And the gift is undistracted devotion to God. Okay, there's a truth that can be embraced. How about this? Singleness has advantages. I named one of them this morning as I'm cleaning poop off of the back of my eight-week-old. You know, um, there are some advantages in terms of time, the way that um, money is spent. Uh, Even the daily menu. You don't have to, you know, you're worried really about yourself. Um, There are advantages in the sense that sometimes marriage brings troubles. Um, And I think we do a disservice to singles as married people when we don't talk about the hard stuff of marriage, right? Um, Marriage is amazing. It's a gift, and it's also very difficult, and it comes with challenges, and you add kids to that, and it complicates it even more. So there are some advantages um, to being single. Um, I was thinking about this particular truth as I was nursing my baby and typing with one hand last night, and I was like, oh, this is really great because I have an extra hour because it's daylight savings time. Did he go to bed? No. He stayed awake while I worked on this talk, okay? Again, it doesn't negate longing or desire, but there are some significant advantages. I didn't mention the reason that Matthew's not here and the reason that I'm kind of single parenting this week is because he's elk hunting. So it came at a very appropriate time. He's like off in the woods, off the grid. Like, I haven't talked to him. And, um, and that's why I'm lugging my child and diaper bag and car seat across the crosswalk this morning alone. Um, so... I, I, in some ways, can kind of empathize even about single parenting, which is a whole nother challenge in and of itself. Okay, side note. So here's a truth. Singleness has advantages. How about this one? Singleness, oh, wait, 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 wait. I want to go back. Here's a story. And I read this um, in a book called The Emotionally Healthy Leader by Peter Scazzaro. And I'm going to recommend two books to you at the end of this, and that's one of them. Um, Yes, it's true that single people can devote themselves more fully to God's work, okay? Single people have more time to give, but this does not mean that it should be taken advantage of, right? This does not happen at New Life Downtown, but here's a story that I read, and I just want to actually read it to you. Um, A woman wrote a letter to her pastor when he asked her, along with the other single people in the group, to stay late and clean up after a retreat. And he asked the married people to go home and spend time with their spouse, okay? Um, She said this in her letter. Please don't take my community for granted. My network of close friends is as critical to me as your spouse is to you. I would like you to take my needs for rest and intimate connection as seriously as you take your commitment to be with your spouse. My close friends are the ones God has given me, and it actually takes more effort, not less, for me to enjoy healthy relationships with them. And why is that the case? It's not naturally built in us because we're not waiting for one another at home. Right? Um, Talk about, like, emotionally healthy leadership, an emotionally healthy view of singleness. She recognized her need for community, And she called that leader out. She prophetically called that leader out. So I want to ask you all, and I know this doesn't happen at New Life Downtown, but my guess is you mix and mingle with a lot of different um, 
groups and your community is broad-reaching, if that is, if you ever feel taken advantage of because you're single and you have more time, go ahead and call that out. Go ahead and name your need for rest, your need for community, your need to connect with other people in intimate relationship, right? Okay. And truth number three. I think this is perhaps the most important, and if you walk away with anything today, let it be this. How about that? Singleness is a witness and a sign of God's love. It is the loudest gospel message you will ever preach to the world. Um, I don't know if this has ever been spoken over you, if you are a single person. I don't know if you've ever thought about your singleness in this way. But you carry, if you are indwelled by the Holy Spirit, if you have chosen Christ as your Lord and Savior, you carry this precious gospel message with you. And it is not half of a gospel message because you are single. It is the whole gospel message. And it communicates loudly. It speaks loudly to the world. I didn't put a a scripture verse up here because there's lots, right? The gospel message, we can point to the gospels themselves, the life of of Jesus. But I want to make sure that you get this idea you communicate, you speak loudly the gospel message, okay? There's different ways that single people embody and declare the gospel message, and there's different ways that married people embody and declare the gospel message. Um, Marriage is this witness of the love that God has for us in covenanted relationship, right? Husband and wife protect and nurture this sacred space between them. And they witness to the love of God by the way that they love each other, okay? Now, single people also witness to the love of God because it reminds us of our source and our goal, okay? It reminds us of the beginning. It reminds us of the end. Single people do not attach themselves to one particular person. And so by their lives, they exemplify. They remind us that our relationship with God is the beginning and the goal of all human relationships, So the life of non-attachment lifts up this beautiful truth about the Christian life. Um, And I said this earlier, but I want to repeat it. Single people need married people, and married people need single people. And I hope that there are some married people in here um, who will, will recognize your role in this conversation. Because married people need to declare just as much to single people that, hey, you are an embodier, you are a carrier of this precious gospel message. I think if I would have known this, if I would have embraced this um, in my 20s and 30s, my perspective of singleness would have been very different. If somebody would have said to me, Amber, you bear the gospel message as a single woman. What? That's, that kind of blows me away now thinking about it. I would have done singleness differently had I um, decided to receive that truth, okay? And finally, another truth is that singleness is not forever. Mark 12, 25, For when the dead rise, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage. In this respect, they will be like the angels in heaven. Revelation 19.7, let us be glad and rejoice and let us give honor to him for the time has come for the wedding feast of the lamb and his bride has prepared herself. Okay, the first one, Mark 12, I'm not going to be married to Matthew in heaven. I'm going to have to enjoy it while I'm here on earth. There will be no 
singleness. There will be no marriage, okay? We're all going to be busy worshiping the Lord, right? And the other reality is that a good majority of people do end up marrying, okay? People are marrying later in life, statistically. I think Matthew and I are probably more the norm than um, the exception these days. Um, People are having kids later, all that kind of stuff. Um, So the reality is that singleness is not necessarily forever. But some who choose it and some who do not choose it can take heart in some ways um, and hope in the future, the resurrection, that um, there will be no more tears and there will be no more crying, right? Revelation gives us this beautiful picture of the new heaven and the new earth um, and the pain of singleness and perhaps that unfulfilled longing is not forever. There's a story about an elderly woman who, in conversation about her singleness, um, declared, like, I can't wait for heaven. Okay? Now, don't hear me say we're just waiting to get on that train to glory, right? Okay? I am not that kind of person. Um, There is a lot of work to be done here on this earth, and I know the pain and the longing of singleness. And the laying, laying your head down at night and feeling very, very alone. But I find a lot of hope in the fact that it's not forever. Okay? It's not permanent. A um, couple other things that I want to say just as we close this conversation. And Jason um, did mention these, and I just kind of want to reiterate them for you all. Singleness is not a condition to be escaped but it is a gift to be received. Singleness is not second best. Singleness is not second class. Singleness is not like half of anything. You're not less of an adult. You're not less mature. You're not less spiritual. Um, and in fact, you, dec- you um, embody and declare this precious gospel message in a way that married people simply cannot do. And that's a gift to the church that we need desperately. Singles are an incredibly valuable part of the body of Christ. So friends, these are some truths that I hope that we can um, walk out of here and begin to embrace, begin to live out. Um, I have a vision, and I'm not going to call it ideal, but maybe it is. Maybe I have some rose-colored glasses. What would it look like if New Life Downtown became the church known for doing singleness well? What would it look like if New Life Downtown were the church that had really healthy single people that declared the gospel to their communities, to their friends, to their family, to the broader city, that debunked the myths around singleness, that talked holistically and in a very healthy way about what it means to be a non-attached person in this life, What would it look like if New Life Downtown was that kind of church? I put that out there as a vision, perhaps as a hope, as a prayer. And I trust that you all um, are coming to see and develop a robust theology around um, singleness and your season of life, if that is where you are. Um, And know that you are prayed for. You are prayed for in your... Um, in your singleness, you're prayed for in your season of life, um, and you have a valuable place right here in this community. 
And I would love it if someone would like to pray for us. How are we doing on time, though? I would love to. Oh, well, psh, guys. Everything was late this morning, so I'm confused. Um, how about Q&A? That, does that sound good? You have a hand raised. Right. Okay. All right. Mm. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. That's a testimony, right? Thank you for sharing your story and thank you for speaking that out loud. Yes. Let's see. I want to understand your question. So in, this is a personal question. Do I find that I can serve the Lord better or other married people? Um, it's different. Okay. Let me tell you how it's different. So I was, I was at First Pres for a decade. I was ordained in the Presbyterian Church. I pastored people through some really joyful times and some really painful times as well. Sat at the bedside of dying people. I mean, like, pastoring in its fullness. Um, I think that I had um, less divided attention um, to, to minister to people. And I did have more time to give um, to serving the church in some different ways. So I'm, I'm not sure how that relates to the first part of your question, though, about um, maybe feeling lonely or being a loner. But I would say that Matthew and I minister now as a married couple in a different way than we did as individuals, Right? So the gift that we brought in our singleness to the church is that we had our undivided attention, um, or the Lord had our undivided attention. We were able to give our time um, to the church and to ministry, and now we have to be a little more intentional 
Um, and we simply just don't have the time that we once did. I don't know if that answers your question or if there are other married people that might even comment um, to your question. Does it, I want to make sure I'm answering your question. Uh-huh. Yep. Um, I think it's different. I'm just going to simply say I think it's different, right? So, so like I said, um, married people bear the gospel message differently than single people marry, bear the gospel message, right? So single people point to this kind of um, undistracted devotion to the Lord. And married people point to God and um, the way that they do that is in their covenanted life together. So the way that I love Matthew speaks loudly to the world, right? Like that's the gospel message. That's the most precious gospel message. And it's the responsibility that we have now as gospel bearers. Okay? So it's simply different. It's not that it's better. There's not a hierarchy. And it's not that somehow our light is brighter um, and this is a message that I don't think I internalized in my singleness, right? When I was in my 20s and early 30s, I didn't get this. I had a second-class perspective of my singleness. And I want you all to walk out of here today leaving that myth behind. Like, let's develop a pile over there and throw that myth away. It's not true. There is nothing um, more untrue than singleness being lesser than in the church and in the world. Okay, is that helpful? Does anyone else, I don't know, Jason, Kwan's newly married, six weeks, you got something to say? Yeah. There you go. Right. And stay up till midnight and yeah. Yep. 
Yep. Yep. Mm -hmm. And here again is a call for single people to hang out with married people and married people to hang out with single people. If you're married, don't just hang out with married people. Like, that's, that's like half a life. I mean, it's like, it's not, it's not the fullness of community as God intended it, right? And single people, hang out with some married folks. And don't just babysit their kids. Like, ask to have dinner with them, right? Like, ask to be a part of a small group. I know that there are a number of meal groups here at New Life Downtown that are mixed, right? That, that it's not age and stage. Um, it has to do with, like, Okay, we're going to represent the body of Christ, and that means single, married, divorced, widowed, all of it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Family myths, yeah. 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 That's good. Isolated. Yeah. 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 Matthew and I live in community. Um, We just had a baby and we welcomed him into a home with two other single people. And they enrich our lives in so many ways. Um, Last year, our community structure was one where we had two married couples. So it was us and then another married couple and then a recently divorced woman and another single woman. That was our community dynamic. We regularly had meals together, we shared life together, we prayed for one another, we poured into one another, and there were, you know, there were some complications with it, but there were also some really beautiful things about our communal life together. And we've committed to share our marriage and share our family and share our home and share our kids with people from many different stages of life, because we so value um, the gospel being born by different people. In singleness and in marriage. Okay, there was, yeah, right here. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Great. Beautiful. Thank you. That's great. Hey. Yeah. 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 Yeah, there's a lot of misunderstanding and misperception um, about marriage. And I think about singleness, people who married young and really don't know what singleness is like, um, maybe project their own perceptions onto that. Um, this wasn't necessarily brought up, but I'm going to go ahead and bring it up. Um, we have a friend, a, a man, who came out to us as a, as a gay man um, last year. And it has been a very powerful thing to um, continue in our friendship with him, um, to love him and to walk with him as he discerns how to live a life where he um, experiences same-sex attraction and wants to follow Christ. And that those are not mutually exclusive, but in fact he is finding a way of um, pointing me all the more to Christ. Okay, And I think this is a reality um, that we need to bring up, and I just brought it up, and then we're going to close. Look at that! (laughs) Planned that! No, just kidding. Um... And especially as we um, see more and more of our young people um, experimenting around same-sex attraction, um, there's a lot of confusion around homosexuality. And again, this is a, kind of another whole, a whole other subject, but I at least want to bring it up and say that, um, again, same-sex attraction or um, being a gay man or a lesbian woman um, or bisexual or transgender or LGBTQI, any of those, is not any lesser than that there are still people who bear the gospel out to the world in their singleness and in their desire to follow Christ. So, um, dropped that bomb, and now we're going to go. Any other just final thoughts? And then, Jason, would you pray for us? Okay. Oh, yeah. Hey, guys. Hold on. Thank you. Two books. Um, Henry Nouwen, love Henry Nouwen. He's written a lot. Um, He himself was a single man. Some believe that he was homosexual, that he had same-sex attraction. Um, He wrote a book called Clowning in Rome, and it's about singleness and celibacy. Um, He chose to live a celibate life, and he lived in intentional community um, with uh, kind of mentally handicapped, physically and mentally handicapped people um, later on in his life. He was a very accomplished academician, um, a professor, um, and then he kind of had a, a heart change, a life change, an encounter. He met Jean Vanier of L'Arche Communities, and then in um, Canada he lived in uh, another community with these um, handicapped folks. So he is an incredible resource, but Clowning in Rome is his book about singleness and celibacy. And then the emotionally healthy leader, Peter Scazzaro, I know that um, the staff at New Life Downtown has done a lot with the emotionally healthy leader, the emotionally healthy church, and there's a section in that book about singleness, um, so highly recommend that. And there are so many other resources, um, but 
I just wanted to give you two because I know that the, you know, fire hydrant effect can be a little much. Don't go buy all of them on Amazon. Just buy these two.